we like to add chaos to chaos. So like we bought a house, planned a wedding. I don't know. We had like four or five projects at the same time. So it's like when it rains, it pours. And like, we're now in that point of life where like jobs haven't changed, house hasn't changed. We kind of look around like, what do we do with all this extra time? <laughs> so we start other projects. So yeah, we're just kind of like, you know, they always say, if you need something done, give it to a busy person. That's us. I think we just excel with lots to do because you have to remain, you know, focused and driven to get stuff done or it'll all fall apart. Join us in Mixing Business with Pleasure, a podcast about loving your work and working with your love. Your hosts, Mike and Gabby, are entrepreneurs who have found their passion in both their personal and professional relationship. The pair who swore never to work with each other are now working happily together side by side in love, life, and business. Tune in each week as we feature co-founders who are also lovers and are proving that business and pleasure really do mix well together. So we have with us today, Jason and Shelly Daly, and they're our first guests that have more than one business together. So this should be really interesting. You guys run both a web development and digital agency, and you have a distilling company. So that should be really fun to talk about. Welcome to Mixing Business with Pleasure. Yeah, thanks for having us. Our first question is, work and love are both four-letter words. So we ask everybody what their favorite four-letter word is. And you can say whatever you want. This is a, this is a safe place. <laughs> I swear like a sailor, so maybe not so safe. <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> when we say safe, it means you can say whatever you, you want. You can say whatever you, yeah. Honestly, this is not a kid's show. Well, I know it's cheating, but my favorite four-letter word is whiskey, which isn't a four-letter <laughs> word. But you get lots of four-letter words with whiskey, so maybe that counts. The, the, the well, more whiskey you have, the more four-letter words come out. Is that how it works? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't. I don't have any particular four-letter words, but you hear me say a lot. You know, you hear me say, com- "Composure, be composed, breathe, take a breath." You know, can-do attitude. Those are a lot of things that come out of my mouth pretty okay. frequently. You know, I, I like breathe a lot. Just take a breath, breathe. You know, that, uh, that seems to solve a lot of issues and de-escalate issues, too. And, and, so, that, and it works really well with children, because we tell our daughter that, too. <laughs> it's just good advice for anyone of any age, is, you know? I agree. Take a breath. Think about it. You know, it doesn't matter if it's personal or business. Just take a breath and think about it for a minute. Love it. Have, have you found yourself using that more often over the last two to three months here? Yeah, there's no question. It's It's been a unique two to three months. And I think perspective uh, has shifted for a lot of us in a lot of good ways and a lot of challenging ways as well. Taking a breath is a really good idea right now. Absolutely. Well, all right. Next question is, what came first, business or love? For us, it was love. Yeah, we've okay. known each other since we were wee babies. We wow. Were like what, 21-ish? 21-ish. But, you know, when you're an entrepreneur, I think that's just ingrained in your personality. So what attracted me to Jason was his ambition, his drive, his creativity. So, you know, I kind of fell in love with the business person, even though he hadn't been with brandography at that point. He started a deck staining company when he was young and (laughs) always had entrepreneurial ventures. So I fell in love with the business person, I guess. With that, you fell in love with love and also the business side of your love 
Mm-hmm. So let's talk about the let's talk about the the entrepreneurial history, I guess, in terms of what brought you guys to where you are today. You mentioned Jason, you started uh, Dextane business. Was that your first entrepreneurial venture? Was there others before that? Yeah, uh, that was pretty much my first. I had a, a little consulting business. I had a deck staining business. I built some some software and have actually sold some software companies as well, two of them, and our software software products. I actually did sell my my deck staining business. Everything for me kind of culminated in 2008 or so when I recognized my passion was really. I was really working on multiple businesses and solving multiple business problems and helping businesses succeed. And I recognized, you know, I, I can't have four or five businesses, not that I'm running. And, and, you know, at the time I was also doing affiliate marketing and making websites. And I said, you know, this is what I love. I love doing this. It doesn't have to be for myself. It could be for other businesses and other brands. And that was, uh, you know, 2008. It was kind of December 1 of 2008 when I said, you know, I'm formally... I am formally an agency. I'm formally going to be doing this for other businesses. And that scratched my entrepreneurial itch where I didn't have to have, you know, multiple different sets of employees and payroll and everything else. I could get that fulfillment, that entrepreneurial fulfillment by being that, that partner to other companies. And that's, that's how everything kind of came together, culminated in 2008. Since then, we've been involved in other businesses and Shelly's had an opportunity to scratch her entrepreneurial itch, you know, being in the driver's seat uh, as opposed to me being in the driver's seat. So, so, so in 2008, is that when brandography became, is that when you founded brandography? Yep. Yep. 2008, okay. so summer of 2008 is when I founded it, you know, more formally as an agency. And I remember, I remember crystal clear December 1st of 2008 is when I hired my first two employees who are still my employees to date. And oh, we that's started, awesome. Yeah, yeah. So that's when that's when the the shift kind of happened in the summer of 2008 and then December 1st saying, "All right, let's let's do this." And uh, were you you guys were together at that time already when that was happening? Yeah, we got married in 2008. So we had been together what, 3 years before then. We're getting to that age now where you kind of have to like count on your fingers and like who got <laughs> married when and what house were we in? Like I can't remember dates. <laughs> Yeah, so we just celebrated 12 years of marriage this May. Congratulations. That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. Thank you. That's awesome. 15. 15 years. So yeah. many lifetimes. Yeah, yeah. So how was it, uh, how was it doing, doing wedding planning and business launch all in the same year? How'd that go? We like to add chaos to chaos. So like we bought a house, planned a wedding. I don't know. We had like four or five projects at the same time. So it's like when it rains, it pours. And like, we're now in that point of life where like jobs haven't changed, house hasn't changed. We kind of look around like, what do we do with all this extra time? (laughs) So we start other projects. So yeah, we're just kind of like, you know, they always say, if you need something done, give it to a busy person. That's us. I think we just excel with lots to do because you have to remain, you know, focused and driven to get stuff done or it'll all fall apart. So Brandography, like we said earlier, is a a full service digital marketing agency. You guys do web development, graphic design, paid media, SEO, social media, content, email marketing, kind of the gamut, right? Is that, is that true? Yeah, absolutely. That's, that's right on the money. I mean, really we break it down into three departments. So we have a a development software department. That's one. We have a marketing department and that does uh, content creation, SEO, SEM, ad buys. That's two. And then we have our creative department as well. 
We're doing branding identity kits as well as uh, graphic design to support the other two to support development and marketing. And I love, I love this quote that you have on your LinkedIn page, Jason. I'm going to read it because otherwise I'm not going to get it correctly. He says, I am a calculated risk taker, a crowd-pleasing nerd, and a well-balanced workaholic. Shelly, is that a true statement? Uh, maybe not so much well-balanced. <laughs> uh, well-balanced for his clients because he works a lot, but maybe from the wife's perspective, I'd like a little more me time. Yeah. Should maybe be read well-balanced. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's, let's dig in a little bit more there. So, Jason, you are the founder and president of Brandography. Shelly, at what point did you join Brandography, and what is your current role? It was a little... Uh, a little mis. We had a hard time figuring things out from your LinkedIn page. Yeah, so we I have a hard time figuring out what I'm doing there too. Yeah, so I mean, that's what I always kind of explain to people, and you guys probably appreciate that when your partner owns a business, you're always part of the business, even if you're not part of the business. Mm -hmm. So even when he started launching, you know, I was there helping him come up with ideas and looking over resumes for hires and picking out office spaces, even though I wasn't, you know, necessarily client facing or part of the team, I'm definitely part of the team. I have a marketing and sales background, and so I was doing other things. And then in 2012, I joined the team officially as a client service manager, which was basically acting as the salesperson, um, doing the networking, being out in the community because Jason was busy running the business. And as much as we love each other, we realized that we work together in certain capacities. And so as we would kind of clash heads, I would kind of step away or do other projects and then as he kind of needed me, I'd kind of come back in. So things are always kind of ebbing and flowing with me being more or less involved. Mm -hmm. As the business has kind of grown, I've been needed less and less, which is great for our marriage and the business is doing fine. But a lot of our clients, you know, it, with business, it becomes very incestual that like I have clients that are now his clients and his clients become my clients. And his clients buy whiskey and my clients, you know, who buy whiskey need web services. So it just all kind of goes round and round. Currently right now, I'm not in an official capacity with brandography, but you know, I still offer a lot of help. I know all his teams, you know, I go to team building things to kind of be that outside opinion. So kind of half in half out with my own business stuff going on too. That's a client of brandography. So it's <laughs> Just keep going in circles. So sometimes it gets a little hard to define roles of who am I right now? What hat am I wearing? But same with Jason too. You know, he's part of my business, even though he doesn't run day-to-day -day stuff. He's still an a investor, a valid business person, and he's always welcome to help in whatever way he can. So Yeah. And, I, and I'd add to that and say that over the, over the years, you know, our, our roles have changed within brandography. So, I mean, mine cha has changed dramatically several different times, as has Shelley's. And I think that's one thing that a spouse offers, you know, when you're working together is, is just being, being somebody you can trust to be malleable mm -hmm. and kind of be where you need that person and when you need them. And sometimes that means, you know, stepping away and saying, you know, I'm, I might not be needed in this phase of the business or I might not be needed in the season as heavily, but, you know, I'm here for you and can jump back in however you need, whenever you need. And it's, you know, definitely gone from, you know, full time, over full time at the beginning for years you know, and, and helping get the business, you know, running uh, to jumping in at different capacities at different times. And that's really reciprocated within both of our businesses as well. So we're kind of in that season right now where, you know, we can get into this a bit more, but, you know, Brandography is a traction EOS company. 
and we've been pivoting to bringing on an, an integrator and a president, allowing me to sit in the CEO and visionary position. And that's changing up my role. That's changed Shelley's, you know, for a while where, you know, it's important that we clearly define roles, responsibilities, accountability. And right now we're kind of redefining that here with us, both within our respective businesses. So you caught us in a transition, which is kind of fun. Yeah. I, I mean, I could take this in a, we could take this in a lot of different directions and we probably will do both, but you mentioned Jason, you know, a number of transitions that you've had in terms of what your role has been like and as the business has grown and evolved. Talk a little bit about that. Like what type, how has that looked over the years? Yeah. So, I mean, from day one, I was actually, I was actually, you know, making websites myself. I was writing ads, managing Google AdWords. I was running affiliate marketing campaigns, you know, in 2005, six, seven, eight, you know, for myself, as well as the beginning of brandography. And then once we started hiring people, we've, we, the model had always been to really have people who are masters of their discipline. So I don't want a, a, you know, a designer doing copywriting. I don't want a, you know, is we want absolute experts in each of those positions. And over the years, we've been able to achieve that. The first few years, it was me and I was a utility player. I was a B plus, A minus in a lot of those. My, my strengths are more on the strategy side, being able to put together strategic, strategic partnerships, strategic ideas, campaigns. But, you know, my role has really bounced and changed throughout the years. And, you know, now I'm really sitting in a position where it, it is, you know, almost 100% strategy. So I am very client facing now, but in a different, in a different uh, way. Before I used to be client facing where, you know, I would be running through ads and ad ideas on a very granular level. Now it's, you know, I, I'm, I'm helping people on their, their quarterlies. I'll, I'll actually participate in, in annual review, you know, annuals with our clients. You know, we'll actually put together strategic marketing plans for for companies for you know large publicly owned companies and and i'm i'm a part of that now so my my interactions are still very much client facing but it's just what i'm doing is more in my sweet spot which is uh strategy you know building out teams organizing teams where it used to be more on execution that's awesome shelly you mentioned a little bit ago that you know your your role within the company has sort of ebbed and flowed and you know in 20, 2008 you didn't have an official brandography email but you were very much still part of the, those initial phases of of the development of the company and the growth of the company and and Jason you just said a bit ago that you you guys are kind of in, in a transition period so Shelley from your perspective you know watching your partner your spouse your love build something that he loves, what has been some of those changes that you've seen both professionally in Jason, as well as personally over the years? And don't say gray hair, because that's... <laughs> <laughs> so much. You're doing better yeah. than I am, that's okay, don't worry about it. <laughs> oh, geez. Yeah, I mean, he worked more in a, a traditional office setting before, but he always has had, you know, his, his other projects, his other businesses. So for me, it wasn't too much of a dramatic change because it's always about, you know, he worked from nine to five, but he'd get up at six and work from, you know, seven to nine before work. And then he'd be doing stuff from five on. So for me, it's just like different roles, but, you know, same kind of schedule. But I think he's just kind of gotten into his stride and, you know, just become more comfortable in his skin where a lot of it, you know, he was trying it out and figuring it out. And now he's had enough experience where when, you know, other business opportunities come up too, he's like, you know, this is a winner and let's do this or, 
you know, so for me, it's been fun to just watch him like become more and more ingrained in like more complex and bigger and, you know, successful businesses, not that they haven't been successful, but you know, a small deck company that, you know, just us and a couple of kids staining decks to now, you know, how many employees do you have? 22? I think we just hired like three more in COVID. So it's just been fun to kind of be like, wow, like you run a, a small, like a large small business, you know, from, you know, a couple kids during the summer to year round and people are getting married and having kids, like we're impacting communities and people's lives and being part of their careers. It just kind of blows my mind. So I'm with you. I think when we, when we started our business, one of the things that, one of the early things that Mike told me was like, do you realize that we are paying somebody's salary? Like we're, we're, we're giving somebody light, like we're, we're, we're sustaining their lifestyle and their family and their needs. And, you know, and we're contributing to, to, to the, to the larger society in terms of jobs. And, and, and I, you know, it didn't, it, it kind of took me a minute to realize, yeah, that's, that's what we're doing, you know? So that's awesome. I want to talk a little bit about your whiskey venture. Now tell us about whiskey. How, how, no, why, stu- why whiskey and how whiskey? Studio Distilling, you you started it in 2017, is that correct, 2018? I've been on the project since 2015, but 2015? we to the public, yeah, 2018. Okay. So. And I, I do want to say, because we may have listeners outside of the Twin Cities, there is such a vibrant you know, distilling and brewing community here in, in Minnesota. I mean, especially in the Twin Cities, but in Minnesota at large. So, so talk to us about how you got involved with studio distilling. And I, I see, I, I'm going to take a wild guess and say that brandography came up with the logo and the branding. Is that true? Yes. Yes. (laughs) And this is how I got involved is, you know, Jason came home one day and he said, Hey, we just had a new, you know, client who's interested in working with us. It's a gentleman who's trying to launch a whiskey distillery. He's also looking for investors. He's also looking for someone to help him run the business. And so for me, you know, as much as I've been involved, I always kind of look for projects that are my passion and opportunities to kind of do my own thing, because I think it's good for our marriage to have space to as much as we work together. And whiskey's always been a passion of mine. It's always been a drink of choice for me, something I've just kind of, you know, personally had a bunch of interest in and time and dollars spent. So when we write a business plan, it just made a ton of sense. And so I sat down with Brad, who's our founder and distiller, kind of gave him my background. I've got an entrepreneurial, again, sales and marketing background. And so we did a six-week test trial for me to help him um, raise some funds for his equity raise. And he liked what I had to offer. And I've now been on the project four and a half years. So We've launched two award-winning whiskeys, um, two experimental whiskeys with a third on our way. Everything's um, crafted in-house by hand from scratch from the grain on up. So we're very, wow. very proud of what we're awesome. doing. So is, yeah, is, is it everything is, is everything local or where, how do you, where do you guys source? As local uh, as it can be. So, you know, even if like the grain, for instance, comes from the Dakotas or Canada, the grain uh, distributor that we use is locally based here. You know, so we try and start as local as we can and shift out. So one of the grains we use comes all the way from Germany. It's a chocolate rye malt. Why Germany? Well, it's the only place in the world that makes it, but they co-op with RAR, who's in Shakopee. So again, we try and work with the local vendor to bring it in, even if we can't find a Minnesota company who makes it. Is that just part of the kind of the business DNA where you guys want to stay local kind of thing? Of course. Yeah. I mean, when you're craft and you're telling people to drink local and support your local bartenders, we want to, you know, practice what we preach. 
So we try to partner with, you know, as many local distributors and vendors and, you know, even the, the local liquor stores who are owned locally or the bars and restaurants who are run here. So that's, that's what we're proud of. Yeah. Yeah. And as, as somebody who helped put together the, the identity kit for them, I, I can speak which, a little bit. Which is awesome, by the way. I <laughs> love you. the site. I love the logo. Love the colors. Really sharp. Really sharp. I like it. Yeah. Me too, thanks. When they came to us, they said, you know, one thing that's really important to us is that all of, all of the product is made locally, right? So it's 100% of, of what they do is scratch is, you know, in St. Paul. Yeah. So the, they, they get the actual grains and they mash, they ferment, they distill 100% of that all happens in St. Paul, which is incredibly unique. I'm not sure. I'm, I'm, I'm unaware of other places that are 100% scratch. Well, and it's just two of us. So Brad's our distiller, and then I'm pretty much everything else. So wow, wow. I was going to ask how how big the company is, but I think you just answered that question. Two, yeah. <laughs> we submitted our spirits to the San Francisco World Spirits Competition, and we won a double gold for our rye malt, which literally puts us in a category of one percent of spirits in the world. So wow. there's only people in St. Paul making world-renowned whiskeys. I don't think people quite get what a big deal that is. Um, so we're trying to explain that, but as Minnesotans, we're not good at tooting our own horn. Well, um, if this podcast makes it big, hopefully, uh, we'll maybe, yeah. we'll, maybe we'll replay this episode at some point. And, and yes, yes. Man, we <laughs> well, should have had our, our whiskey glasses here today. We can cheer you on this fantastic news. Yeah. I do want to ask a question or kind of slightly pivot a little bit because um, I have to admit, I, I'm not a connoisseur when it comes to spirits and whiskey, so I don't want to say anything that might sound ignorant, so hopefully you can help me walk through this a little bit. Um, I did notice that, you know, especially now during the pandemic, coronavirus, a lot of distilleries and breweries are, are pivoting and making, or maybe not pivoting, but just doing this sort of value add community service thing in making hand sanitizer. Can you tell us for the ignorant spirits person like me and maybe other people out there, how do you go from making whiskey to hand sanitizer and tell us how you decided to do that? Why, you know, how did it come about? And tell us also a little bit of the state of the business today, especially with, with coronavirus going on, like how has that affected sales and so on and so forth? Yeah. Well, first of all, it's not ignorance. The fact that you're like, Hey, I don't know a ton means that you're self-aware and my job is to educate you. And that's what I love is that people, because we have such a big brewing community, they're curious. And so it's, there's a lot of smoke and mirrors, like gentlemen's club around whiskey. So just like, especially empowering females being one of the few females in the spirits industry. It's my job to make people feel comfortable that, that, you know, you can't say anything wrong. If you're curious and you ask questions, that's a good place to be. Well, thank you. And um, yeah. thank you for thank you for having that mindset because I do agree with you that I think that the the spirits world and 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 the alcohol world for so long has been very male dominated. Mm -hmm. So it's wonderful to see female representation there for you guys doing world world renowned stuff here yeah. right here in Minnesota, right here in our backyard. Shelly, you got to get your name out there, girl. But anyway, <laughs> yeah, I, I, I <laughs> continue tell us tell us. Yeah, so with coronavirus, I mean, how hand sanitizer works is it's made out of basically very strong alcohol. It's a lot more complicated, but when the pandemic hit and there's a bottleneck of companies being able to actually make hand sanitizer to keep people safe, 
distilleries who have a permit to deal with industrial alcohol, they said, why don't we open it up to you guys so that you can mix this stuff? Mm -hmm. And so now instead of, you know, the however many plants we have in the country, we have hundreds and hundreds of distilleries all over the country. And what it's also helping out is instead of these huge supply chains of, okay, there's a factory in Texas, how the heck do we get it all up to Minnesota? Now we have a bunch of distilleries in many states who can distribute it locally to their communities. Mm -hmm. So there's paperwork and there's legality and there's all sorts of things. But I would say kudos to the federal government. They kind of said, figure it out. We'll deal with the paperwork later. Let's, you know, make our communities as safe as possible. And so the reason we did it is because we just felt that it was our duty to our communities that we were able to do it. Why wouldn't we? Why wouldn't we help make people safe, especially in a scary time if we have the capacity? Our distillery is a little different because we make things from grain to glass. We don't have this very high proof, very strong alcohol that most people source from you know other companies. So for us, it was a much bigger pivot because it was bringing in ingredients and processes that we normally don't do because we're a scratch bakery you know, kind of operation versus like someone who brings in the cinnamon rolls and just puts the frosting on top. So for us, it was a big pivot. It's a lot of different equipment. It's a lot of different time and energy. You're trying to source bottles that no one has right now. But again, it's just such a good thing. And we just feel, you know, we partnered with a, about a dozen other distilleries around town. We were um, highlighted in the Pioneer Press. Mm -hmm. We all just felt we should do this. And as you guys know, in Minnesota, bars and restaurants were shut down. So a half of our revenue stream, we couldn't sell to our, you know, our great partners who, you know, are out of work and, and can't serve. Liquor stores are booming right now, but people aren't making local choices. They're making the value choice. So they're buying big bottles of brand names. Mm -hmm. Craft is really hurting. You've seen it with breweries. They're putting out a bunch of articles needing help. You know how they can sell cans of beer instead of growlers. Distilleries are, are you know, feeling the same. And we could talk for two more hours about distilling in Minnesota laws. But for us, it's, you know, the same as it's ever been. We need to be scrappy. We need to be flexible. We need to be creative to keep our business going. Minnesota is really difficult in how they support um, spirits. It's different than how they support beer. So hand sanitizer, it's our community duty, but it's also helping us get our name out there too. People are like, hey, you sell hand sanitizer? Oh, also I'll take a bottle of bourbon. So it's been mm -hmm. fun to see, you know, people come in for a different way you know, and it's, it's just feel good. And it's the right thing to do. There's That's a really awesome. neat story too. She got a, she got a call from one of their neighboring breweries as soon as COVID hit and the, and, uh, the neighboring brewery said, we have extra beer here and we, we're not going to be able to get, we're not gonna be able to sell it. Right. It's too, we have too much and it's going to end up going bad. And actually whiskey is made from beer, right? So mm. you brew grain, you get, uh, you get whiskey and there's more, it's more complicated. Cut chili could walk you through the steps, but essentially you create a beer you distill it into a high proof alcohol and you age it and you get whiskey. So the neighboring brewery said, we have a lot of extra beer here, like a lot of it. What can you do? And, and Shelly and her partner, you know, jumped on that and they said, we can, we can distill it and we need to add another ingredient or two and we have hand sanitizer. That's so awesome. that they, they jumped right on it and they were one of the first to be producing a, a hand sanitizer product made completely out of scratch beer made just down the road at Urban Growler. Yeah. And that's what's oh, fun. Oh, wow, very it's cool. Yeah, Urban Growler is great. They're great neighbors. And so being able to, they donated the beer to us. We donated our time and, you know, distilling. And then we donated all the hand sanitizer right off the bat. That's so, awesome. 
for us, it, again, it's just like, you know, when someone's like, we need help, it's like, yeah, let's do it, you know? So. And I think that's, I'm not a native to Minnesota. And I think I saw Jason that you're from Texas. Is that correct? Yeah. I've been, in, been Minnesota since I was 11. I was in Houston, birth to 11. Okay. So I was born in Texas also. I was born in El Paso, but I grew up, I grew up mostly on the East coast and I I moved to Minnesota 10 years ago, exactly 10 years ago. And I think I would absolutely echo your sentiments, Shelly. I think that the Minnesota community here, like when you need help, when you need something, people are so just so excited to help and and wanting to help and and be that voice and be that that light in the community and I think we've seen that you know on a grand scale here certainly after the past few weeks you know politically and and emotionally and and with everything going on and I don't want to go down go down a political discussion here on the show today but I would definitely agree that that here in Minnesota, there's just this at this this attitude of you know we can help, we can be, we can help you, wh- whatever you need. So that's really awesome, and thank you for for doing that as well for 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 you know pass, passing out hand sanitizer because I remember in the early stages, you know, back in early March and 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 late February, thinking, oh my God, we need hand sanitizer, we need wipes, we need this, we need that, and Target was all out, and and then you hear everybody all of these. Everybody was all out. Everybody was out, <laughs> and and you hear all these wonderful companies, breweries, and distilleries, and we have a friend that is in the CBD business. And I don't know the chemistry behind it, but apparently alcohol is also a byproduct of the CBD um, oils and man- how they manufacture CBD. And uh, I don't ask me the chemistry because I don't know it, but that's what he told me. And, and just all these companies pitching in and doing that. So that's fantastic. I have a, a one little question and then we'll, we'll, we'll go back to our regular programming. What is the difference between bourbon and whiskey? Oh, the million dollar question. So tours, <laughs> cause you know, again, that's what's intimidating is we have all these weird words. And so I always give the visual that like there's the whiskey family tree and within whiskey, you've got, you know, Irish whiskey, which is made in Ireland, Scotch, which is only made in Scotland. And then you have the American whiskeys, which are only made in America. And for oversimplification, basically the name of the whiskey is basically what it's made of. So a rye whiskey is made of at least 51% rye. We make a rye malt whiskey, so it has to be made of at least 51% rye malt. Bourbon should be called corn whiskey. It's made of up of at least 51% corn, but mm-hmm. it was originally made in Bourbon County, Kentucky. So they call it bourbon. And it's got all these special fancy things that it has to do to be able to call be able to be called bourbon as well but basically it's just whiskey made out of corn so it tends to be a little sweeter you tend to age it longer to make it have you know those dark you know fruity notes and vanilla and other notes that you get with bourbon but it's just you know as is you know red champagne is in champagne france and darjeeling tea is only in darjeeling india so bourbon is to bourbon's, Kentucky, right? Bourbon's from Kentucky, but it can be made anywhere. So we okay. do make bourbon in Minnesota, but it's just the difference between Merlot and Cabernet, and they're all red wines. It's just kind of a different grape that gives it either fruity notes or dry notes. Bourbon's just a type of whiskey made of corn that's sweet, and Americans drink a lot of it. 
Awesome. Okay. Thank the whole world. Yeah, yeah. Okay, good. Well, thank you for that little bit of trivia. I love that. Let's talk. Well, let's talk. You guys talked a little bit about this. I want to get into it a little bit more. You know, Jason, Shelly, you've you've both have entrepreneurial spirits. You've both had different entrepreneurial ventures. You've come together at Brandography. You've kind of expanded and contracted your roles. Shelly, now you're off in with with studio distilling. You mentioned that having this separation in your marriage and in your work is so helpful to you guys. Tell us, a, tell us a time where you didn't have that separation and you guys were just like neck and neck at each other. What happened? How did you get back on track? You know, how do you guys, when, when things are just in a pressure cooker, other than breathing and, and finding composure, what are some of the tools and, and, and tricks or tips that you guys use as a couple, both in, in business and in, in non-business situations to kind of get out of that hot water for each other? Yeah, and I can speak to that okay. first if you want. Sure. Yeah, all right. So, you know, first and foremost is, uh, is just remembering, remembering some of the basic business principles, right? You know, is respect the other person. You know, treat the other person as if you'd like to be treated. You know, it, it, sometimes we can, we can forget some of those things. And, you know, you may, maybe you almost, you know, maybe you almost bring some of that relationship into, into a, a business situation. And sometimes you need to just say, you know what, let's just for a second treat each other like coworkers and just kind of disassociate and say, how do we handle this, right? If we were just coworkers, you know, team members sitting across the table, how would we handle it? Sometimes we'll kind of break ourselves into that mode and we'll just say, let's just, let's just address it like we were coworkers. Sometimes, of course, that isn't the case. But one thing that we like to do is we like to create literal separation where, you know, if we were working together on a project, you know, it might not be appropriate at 1030 at night to be texting each other work stuff. So we try to set some limits, you know, just before, just before you know, bedtime, for instance, maybe don't bring up big work things that we can't solve until morning anyway. So we've been able to create some, some uh, kind of emotional separation, you know, from work. And, and really that's most important around, you know, big opportunities or stressful work situations. You know, it's kind of, can we compartmentalize those? Can we address them? You know, can we, can we keep that out of, you know, late night conversation as well? Yeah. And to add to that, I think Jason and I work better together when we're given kind of the heads of our own departments or projects. And then we kind of meet and report and solve and kind of go our separate ways. We're both kind of type A alphas. So when we both try and work on the same thing, he wants to do it his way. I want to do it my way. And it just doesn't work well. So we've just found that like with his new office building, I was in charge of you know, the, the build out the project. If I had questions, we'd set time to go through all the issues. I'd be left to troubleshoot unless I needed, you know, a question answered from him. So, you know, as he said, we separate and then we just find time to come together and work on what we need to. But we, you know, we're always each other's biggest supporters, but we just find that, you know, there's not room for the both of us sometimes at the same project. So being respectful, being communicative and giving each other the bandwidth to do what they need to do. And, mm -hmm. and I think some couples might be, might operate differently, but we're, we are both pretty type A. We're both generally leaders. So when we're going to, and this, you know, this goes into like our personal life, right? When we're going to you know do yard work, we're going to do a project. It's time to clean the garage. It's time to whatever it is. One of us just naturally takes that leadership position and we just alternate based on it just, you know, now it just naturally happens. Mm -hmm. But, you know, we used to even say, I'll tell you what, let me run point on this. <laughs> <laughs> 
you know, and, it's, and, and that's just, you know, I mean, it's, it's fun to see that. And we don't necessarily even recognize it ourselves anymore. It's oftentimes pointed out to us where someone's like, oh, Michelle, you really just took control over that or whatever. And, and it's, it's kind of interesting. And, and that's how it works for us is that one of us really does kind of either consciously or subconsciously establishes, I'm going to take point on this. Mm-hmm. And that works for us in business as well as, as in life where, you know, whoever kind of takes it, and that's to Shelly's point, we each kind of do better when we're controlling our own, you know, when there's, when there's defined control. So is that something that you guys figured out sort of naturally and inherently over time? Or was there any sort of, was there somebody that kind of helped you out with it? Or uh, was there like a big aha moment that kind of helped you figure that part out? You know, I, I would say that, that it happened naturally. And then one day we just reflected upon it and said, this is what happens, you know, mm-hmm. and this is kind of, kind of hard earned uh, reflection to become, to be able to look back and say, this is how we operate best because this is how we have been operating best for the last, you know, years. And uh, so I think it, it happened naturally and it was something that we just reflected upon and identified later. Yeah. And it's just when we bang, you know, heads or we'd come to something and we couldn't work together. It's like, well, why is that? We're so good separately. Why can't we work together? And it's because when you have too many cooks in the kitchen, it's just like, you know, we're doing the same things or we're working against each other to get the same thing done. And it's like, okay, we just find when we use our strengths and stick to our, our strengths, we accomplish more. And so when we just come together and, you know, when we have a disagreement, we just know who's running point and we just follow that leader and, you know, that person's in charge of it. So yeah, it's, it's, I mean, you know, after 15 years, I wouldn't say it happened quickly (laughs) and it's a constant, you know, communication and something you work on. But yeah, I think once you just realize how best you work together, you know, continue, you know, going downstream instead of trying to swim up, you know? I love it. I love that, that reflection and that introspection and kind of understanding how to work together. Jason, I have a question for you. What would you say are Shelley's greatest strengths that you as a business, you know, not, as a husband and as a business partner couldn't do without? So Shelly is, there's a lot of different ways to describe it, but she's the person that gets shit done. When somebody has a problem, they pick up the phone, they call Shelly. When somebody wants something done, they pick up the phone, they call Shelly. Some people will call her an activator. She's, she's the person that gets things done. She oftentimes doesn't need a lot of direction. She sees a problem and she, she makes it happen, whether it's <laughs> IT, you know, physical, you know, uh, marketing strategy, you know, legal. I mean, she just jumps in and gets it done. Yeah. So Shelly, what's your secret? How do you get shit done? <laughs> I have to, I'm in a two person company. If my partner's not doing it, I have to do it. Uh, how, how has that trans, how, do, how has that, you know, get shit done attitude translated in your marriage and outside of work? Yeah, I think my job's got a lot more flexibility. Jason, you know, he's got a team nine to five, so he's somewhat more locked down to traditional hours. Obviously he works a lot more than that, but so because he's kind of stuck during Monday through Friday, I'm just left to, you know, we got to do stuff. I got to get it done. So for me, I'm kind of like the gopher that can run and be malleable and and get stuff done because he's, you know, stuck on conference calls from nine to five. So I got to help him, you know, do things in a timely fashion. So it's just, again, us working within our constraints and just 
being a team and knowing it has to get done. And if I'm the one who's available, like done, I got it. Mm -hmm. But it's in her DNA though. I mean, she, <laughs> she might make it sound like a learned or forced behavior. It's, it's in her DNA. You know, even in, even when I knew her in college, she was always getting it done. Whether it was, let's have fun. Here's what, here's what fun is going to look like, guys. <laughs> By the way, here's what fun is going to look like. And we're going to have it. And doggone it, we had it. And, you know, so it's, it's been, it's in her DNA. It's just, that's awesome. So let's, let's take let's, a step back. Tell us the, oh. tell us the, the story. How'd you guys meet? Was it in college? Yeah, it was. So, you know, long story, my best friend's brother was a college roommate that, you know, one of those things were like, we met a couple times, but never really remembered meeting each other. And then it was a friend's 21st birthday that we met and really connected. And of course he was graduated and moving to Minnesota. I was still at the University of Wisconsin. So it was this long distance thing. And as soon as I graduated, it was the big choice of, do I follow this, you know, handsome man back to Minnesota or do I do my <laughs> or, own or, thing? Or go with Jason. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I made, I took the plunge and moved to Minnesota and got my first job and I'm glad I did. But yeah, I guess, you know, University of Wisconsin brought us together. That's awesome. Yeah. So Shelly, same question for you. So what are Jason's biggest strengths both as a husband and as a business owner partner that you couldn't do without? Yeah, I'm really lucky because Jason's, you know, started many businesses before me. And so as I've kind of taken the leadership role with the distillery, it's been awesome to watch what he's done and learn from someone. And he just has really great instincts. You know, when I'm like floundering or going back and forth, you know, and I'll ask him his opinion, he'll thoughtfully think about it and weigh it. But he just has that business sense of like, here's the right answer. Here's what you need to do. And I think that's why he's such a good leader is he's able to, you know, look at the big picture, weigh all the options and make a decision and move forward. Because I think honestly, in small business, you get that analysis or paralysis by analysis mm -hmm. where you just don't do anything. And so sometimes when it's just like, what should I do? It's like, do something, you know? And so he's really great at just, you know, finding people's strengths, pushing them forward, you know, giving that advice and just, you know, having that, you know, spot on business sense that I feel like everyone's got that person where they'll have some good business advice. And for me, it's my husband, which is awesome. And personally, it's just good to have a partner who, you know, looks out for our family and you know, has a, a great sense of stability for us. And I don't have to worry about our future. So that's fantastic. That's awesome. Yeah. You started an, a number of businesses. What, and obviously with that comes, you know, you have successes, you have failures, and you, you learn from all of them. What, what are the, some of the, like, tell us one or two of the biggest lessons you've learned with all the things that you've started you know, the, yeah, yeah. Woo. There's a lot, a lot of <laughs> that. Uh, <clears throat> you know, I think first and foremost is, is surround yourself by, by excellent people. Right. And I, I can say that I can say how that, how important that is to me, considering my business is people, right. I, I'm, I'm in an agency where we don't have a, you know, our, our product is our team members, our valued team members. So, you know, surround yourself with excellent people is, is just always a good idea. It, it always, you know, success breeds success. You know, you hear the don't give up, don't quit. I completely agree with that. I'd say kind of like the, the biggest single thing that I don't hear a lot about is make decisions, make smart decisions quickly. Somebody once said the best thing you can do is make the right decision. The second best is a wrong decision. And the worst thing you can do is make no decision. 
And, and, and I see that, you know, I've seen a lot of businesses uh, that are startups. I've seen them succeed. I've seen them fail. And being able to make smart decisions quickly and get into a habit of evaluating and moving quickly is something that's really, really important for an entrepreneur. Have you had a, have you had a situation where you didn't make a decision quickly and that cost you? Oh yeah. There's, there's, there's a, there's a few opportunities that got away that, you know, ah, you know, let's, let's wait and see on this one. And more than anything, I haven't really had a fit. I'm sure I've had, you know, micro failures on it. Nothing that really stands out as a massive failure, but I've missed big opportunities because I was, you know, through internal pontification. And, What's, uh, yeah. Can you share what some of those, uh, one or two of those opportunities were? Yeah, again, it's kind of sort through the weeds to think of like, what was one of those? There was a there was a, an opportunity to produce a software that that one of our software products was very very close to and you know a bit more investment in time and we would have had something something that the market was absolutely craving and really got it close just kind of accidentally and didn't decided not to finish and and there were a lot of reasons why I could kind of look back and say that you know it was a good you know maybe it was a good decision but it would have been, it would have been a lot of fun. And I think I kind of missed, I missed out on that aspect of, you know, bringing that particular product to market would have been, would have been a lot of fun, but not like one, you know, one really standout situation, more of just a bunch of micro decisions. You know, there are a couple, a couple of people I'd love to have worked with, you know, people that I wanted to hire that I just took a little too long to, to, to pull the trigger on some really good talent. And, you know, in hindsight, our team is incredible. So, you know, it, things, things do work out, but uh, yeah, yeah, I'd say making smart decisions fast. If I could go back and give myself that advice, probably be a couple, couple years ahead of where I am now. Well, let's, let's talk a little bit about brandography. You got, you've been in business for 12 plus years. What makes you guys unique? I mean, we're, we're in Minneapolis, we have quite a few digital marketing agencies and branding agencies and, you know, Proofpoint is one of them. We're one of them. You guys are one of them. Uh, tell us what, what makes brandography unique? What, what gets you going in the morning to say, yes, I'm going to work on Monday. Yeah. So we, when I started, you know, I started doing digital marketing in 2005. Okay. And it was, it's absolute infancy. And it was started, I, I actually have a, I have a, I have a biomed background. Uh, I studied business, but my, you know, I have a formal background in, in biomed from Madison, Wisconsin. My background was kind of science and, you know, as, as well as business, but really science was kind of the core of my studies. And when I, when I started digital marketing, I kind of started it more from a, from a scientific perspective, right? Mm -hmm. It was, it was uh, arbitraging pay-per-click. It was uh, looking at, looking at creating affiliate sites and, you know, what worked and what didn't. And when I built that out after several years into an agency, my core was kind of science-based marketing. And, you know, you look at 2008, December 2008 and 2009, 2010, we're looking at the recession, right? So I'm going into digital marketing very early before agent, you know, mark digital agencies were, were really much of a thing here. I'm going into it with a different perspective in a down market. So what I was doing was I was taking people's, people's budgets I remember one person came to me that a $1.2 million traditional marketing spend. They brought it to me. They said, bad news this is only $200,000. I said, well, let me, let me treat it like it was my own. And we outperformed the next year in a down economy that 200,000 know, ish outperformed to 1.2. 
the year, you know, in a good economy. And, you know, it was new. I was, you know, kind of riding the waves of a new trend. And I was coming at it from a very different perspective. I didn't have legacy agency experience. So I didn't know how they did things. So I was forced to create it as if it were my own, as if I had done with my previous businesses. So, you know, if you take that and qualify it, it's, it's a unique, it was a unique time in, you know, with our economy. It was a unique, it was a unique business opportunity because digital marketing was brand new. And I was approaching it from, uh, you know, with completely fresh eyes. Now, as we've grown, some of the legacy agencies have then turned, right? A digital, a design agency now does, you know, software development. A, you know, a, you know, you look at that, an ad buying agency is now, is now doing SEO. And we've always kind of run the marketing, the marketing route that's always been at our core. So when we, you know, now fast forward to, you know, to, to 2020, there are other agencies out there. Some of them have pivoted from other, from other, uh, other core focuses. Some of them have, have been birthed out of very large companies and we have grown you know, kind of at a consistent level from that mindset. And, you know, one thing that, that I've always done too, is just grown organically. So outside of Shelly and I, you know, doing, you know, air quote sales, you know, we've never had a salesperson. We've grown through referral. We've grown through our, our success. We've grown with our clients. And, and what we can offer now is, is you know, just to, absolute top shelf, you know, where each person, as I mentioned, is a, is a master of their discipline. That's what they do. They, you know, they, they do their jobs incredibly well. And, you know, the whole time it's grown slow and steady, always cash flowed, you know, never try to grow too fast, too big. And, uh, and it's given us a solid business, which in this COVID environment, I'm, I'm really, really pleased, pleased to say we've, we've grown. So we're, we're very fortunate and it's it birthed out of very hard work and I can't take all the credit. My team is, is incredible. My first, my first three, you know, coworkers are, are still, you know, leaders on my team. So. so who were those, who were those first hires? What were the, what were the roles that you first brought in? Yeah. So Matt, Matt Sapetta, I want to say his name. He is an incredible, incredible person. I've worked with him for many, many years. He actually worked at my deck staining company <laughs> in, his, in his young teens, when he was in his mid-teens. You know, he came on and he's an incredible, an incredible designer and front-end developer. And now he's all, you know, front, front-end development. But back then he was a, he was a designer and just absolutely incredible. And then uh, Kathy Kirshner is another stand, standout employee. She, she and I had worked together. She and I had worked together for, for quite some time as well. She helped. She, that those two were very, very instrumental in getting the business started. They, they were consultants right away. She was, a, she was a marketing strategist and content writer. So she wrote our content. So right away, it was uh, myself doing web development, uh, Matt doing design, Kathy writing, writing great content. And you know, fast forward, and their positions have evolved over you know, the course of over a decade. And then our, our first, our first developer, Rob, he's, he's always been a developer and just has continued to, to really, really excel in his development skills to be, you know, an incredible app developer now. So uh, really, if you look at it, kind of the pillars of our business, you know, uh, you know marketing, creative, but at the time was just, uh, was, was more so focused on specifically copy and, and, you know, design. So. So 12, you know, fast forward to 2020, no one could have ever predicted what would, what would be awaiting for us in 2020, but you've been in business now for, you know, with brandography for a little over 12 years. What would you say 
is one of the biggest challenges that you have. I mean, you'd think that a company 12 years, you, you have all your processes figured out, all your templates figured out, all the, you know, all the nuances of, of kind of the foundation of your business figured out. But what is a challenge that you guys have currently right now? Or if you don't, what is something that you're working on? You know, t tell us kind of what's, what's cooking at Brandography behind the scenes. Yeah, no, wonderful. So, you know, I, I really, I do like to look at challenges as opportunities. You know, what, what are those, what, where are those opportunities? And for us, for us, I guess our biggest opportunity over the last couple of years has really been adhering to the attraction, EOS, the entrepreneurial operating system, and taking a business that has grown organically from, you know, one, one person, you know, to where it is now and putting it on a more formal operating system such as as traction and that opportunity has been been incredible it's a if, if are you familiar with with traction or eos we mm -hmm. are i would say we have cursory knowledge of it tell me how did you get attracted to it in the first place how did it come to your attention you know i was i was introduced to an an, an a ceo group about four or five years ago through the uh, saint paul area chamber of commerce they introduced us to something called economic gardening now I'm in a CEO roundtable with some very, very incredible CEOs. And at the time, it was something that the St. Paul Area Chamber of Commerce sponsored with a couple other groups, and they brought on emerging CEOs and put them into, into a, a bit of an incubator, so to speak, you know, a day a month for a year. And, and some, of the, some of the people that came through and consultants, they, they just made a lot of sense, and one of them introduced attraction. A couple of local businesses here that that were in that group. Let's see, one of them, Aaron Hall, used to be of Thompson Hall, is now of Jux. He was he was adopting it at the same time, and he said, "Jason, you need to you need to get on this." Any head of head cycling said, "Jason, you need to get on this." And some of those people who you know were were running very successful businesses and growing really really well, you know, really encouraged me to do it. So we we took that step about three years ago, and over the last couple of years, have really been refining it. That's a big step, right? It's it's you know reorganizing your business and looking at it, looking at it through through basic principles, principles that exist all over the place, but finding a way to bring all those principles together and making them work together in a really beautiful way is really what traction is. You know, organizing it, you know, an org chart, accountability, who owns what, how do you report it, when do you report it, you know, how do you forecast, how do you plan? And what's been really, really neat, and I guess one of the biggest opportunities for us is now we are able to speak the same language as other mid-sized businesses in the Twin Cities who are on traction. Or we can walk right in and I can say, show me your VTO, show me your scorecard, what are your rocks? You know, and what, what, give me your, you know, your one year, three year, and five year picture. And they're just like, yes, you know, can you, can you contribute to our scorecard? And we're saying, yeah, absolutely. So for us, that the opportunity has really been uh, reorganizing the business in a way that supports future growth because the way you run a five-person business and the way you run a 50-person business uh, is very different and uh, and that, that's been that's been our biggest opportunity I guess is really internally as opposed to you know seeking different types of business and different types of services yeah well I mean I think as as, as you know and as business owners and, and entrepreneurs know there are times when you have to work in the business and there are times when you have to work on the business and it sounds like at brandography you are now in a position to really take a step back and focus 
on the business and focus on, you know, growing it and, and, and putting in some, you know, a framework, really traction is a framework, you know, as, as, as I said, we have sort of cursory knowledge of it. It's something we we've, we've looked into, but I know from a lot of, of our contacts that those that are, that are, that have implemented the traction EOS system, they're, they're just very passionate about it because it gives, it gives the business a framework and everything kind of flow, like you said, everything kind of flows from there. Well, that's very exciting. That's, that's, and that is a huge undertaking, like you said, to really kind of shift your mindset. It probably also affected employee, you know, employees and kind of how they work and kind of the old way of doing things. So that's, that's also a, a big undertaking that you have to take is kind of getting your team on board with it and implementing it and so on and so forth. So well, kudos to you. And, and we've, we've heard a lot of good things in this podcast. You guys are doing great during this time, which is fantastic. I think on a separate note, on a personal note, when it's, uh, when it's safe to go out and grab a, grab a drink, we'd love to take you guys uh, out and, and pick your brain on it on a deeper level and learn more from your awesome awesome successes we're gonna we're gonna probably get to the closing to the to the end of the show here but i do want to ask a couple of questions more about the relationship the love side of what you do you guys are both busy you have you know these these brandography is is growing and you've got 20 some odd folks on staff and you're changing and you're doing things you've got studio distilling you're busy with that what do you do to reconnect with each other and we get away from technology first and foremost. Okay. You know, our happy place is, is on a boat, is camping, it's canoeing, it's, you know, being with family, hiking, you know, it's, it's getting, getting away from an environment that would allow us to work. And uh, because we, we gravitate, we're hard workers and, you know, being able to focus on ourselves and each other. So what's your, what's your favorite getaway place? Are you guys Boundary Waters people? Huh? I haven't been yet. That's where we want to go. I, no, I really? I adore Boundary Waters. Um, We're going to Buckhorn State Park next weekend, just on the Wisconsin River. It's a Bowdoin only campsite. So we're adventurers. We like to go new places. We're like, eh, hey, we've already been there. Let's go somewhere new. So, but Jane really wants to get me to Boundary Waters. I got to work on my canoeing skills though. I'm like, <laughs> uh, we have, we have family international and we like to visit them, but if we're going to go out, we're going to do some camping, spend some time, you know, just us, Canada's our favorite. We have a, we have a spot in Canada that's uh, just absolutely our, our, our favorite place. Nice. Nice. Little island that we get to visit. That's awesome. Very cool. So Shelly, what is something that Jason does that lets you know he puts your, your relationship first? Oh, he's the sweetest. He, he picks me flowers or he gets me flowers. He knows it's just like a really like silly, excessive like thing, but just to like stop, take the time and just be like, Hey, I hear you. I'm acknowledging you. I'm giving you this symbol of like, I hear you kid. It's awesome. You know? And who doesn't love flowers? <laughs> <laughs> That's beautiful. I love it. Yeah. If you, I have, I have a lot of plants here in my office. I've got this guy, growing up there and then this one and this one i'm i'm a big plant lady and and flowers i love them yeah that's that's awesome i love to hear that it is the little things right i mean sometimes it really just is so you you talked a little bit about your non-work hobbies so camping fishing boating being outdoors travel and we touched a little bit about this earlier in the show you know being in a relationship with someone doesn't mean 
and especially when you're not only in a, in, a, in a loving relationship, but you're also in a business relationship, it doesn't mean you have to spend every waking hour with that person. So what are some things that you guys do individually to kind of regroup, reground yourselves, you know, kind of just take that time away from work, take that time away from each other. What are some things that, that really help you do that? Yeah, well, and it's funny because I think it's us recognizing too what each person needs. I'm definitely more of a social person. I recharge by being with people where Jason needs to recharge with alone time because he's constantly having to deal with people. So for me, it's like, I like being with Jason all the time. And he's like, no, no, I need some alone time. <laughs> so for me, it's, it's letting him do that stuff. So me recharging is being with him. But like for my personal alone time, I'm a huge book reader so I do a lot of reading and I'm in a book club, which helps me, you know, hear from diverse perspectives and read a lot of things that I normally wouldn't read. So it kind of is like a, a guilty pleasure, but also that's expanding my horizons and bettering myself personally. So it's kind of a killing two birds with one stone. But what about you? You know, so we, we actually do spend a lot of time together and we kind of found ways to spend time apart while being together too. So like, like fishing, like we'll go out on, on the boat. And, and it'll be, it'll be quiet. I may even throw in some headphones and, and fishing. I might be, you know, 10, 12 feet away from, from Shelly, but I've got my alone time. I've got my alone space. I've also picked up a couple hobbies. I, I do some kind of light woodworking. I'll do some, I recently got into some dirt biking, which is, you know, for the most part an alone activity. And yeah, so I spend, I spend, spend time like that by ourselves until COVID. It was really, really important for our routines to, to go to the gym and, you know, get some time, you know, where you, you really can't even think, you know, because you're pushing yourself <laughs> hard, you're, you know, you're swimming, you're running. So we do spend a lot of, we spend a lot of time together. We enjoy each other's company, but you know, we find ways to be able to, to still have our, our personal space when we need it. And you guys have two dogs, is that correct? Two, two mini wiener dogs, Rufus and Greta. Okay. And, and the Dachshund is also part of the Brandography logo, right? Yeah, so Willie was our first dachshund, Wilhelmina, the magical wiener dog. That's okay. The, yeah, we just, when Jason was trying to think of like, you know, what kind of fun, you know, logo. Opinionated, stubborn. <laughs> I was like, well, that's, that's us. That's, a, that's our dachshund as well. Yeah. <laughs> and it's fun, you know, with marketing, you can't take yourself too serious. I mean, it's a right. serious business, but the whole thing is, you know, you've got to enjoy yourself. And so what's more fun than this strong little, you know, cute, little mighty, mighty wiener dog well and brandography there's the word dog right there in the middle so that's very clever well we want to wrap up the show we we have we generally wrap up with three questions one of them we've you've got you've already answered we, we well, we've answered ask, we've answered one jason's answered what the big thing that the yeah what's the next big project you're Kelly, working what's on what's the what's the next big project for for the distillery Oh, it's a new project every day. But right now we're working on launching our latest avant-garde whiskey, which is a masala chai whiskey. Ooh, that um, would be right up my alley. Oh, it's delicious. It makes a phenomenal old fashioned. So it's figuring out how we typically do like a big launch party with hundreds of people in close confines. Well, not in COVID-19. Right. So we're figuring out how to do it via delivery and then do a big virtual launch. So Launching awesome. in of, of itself is a big undertaking and now pivoting in COVID. So that's our next big thing. All right. Next question. What advice would you offer other spouses or couples looking to start a business together? Well, right away for me is, is uh, clear communication. 
clear and frequent communication. And when I say clear, I mean really a, a very clear division of responsibilities and, and ownership of, of, of roles. Literally making an accountability chart, even if there's only two people. This is what I'm doing this. And there, there's absolutely fine to be overlap, but really, really defining who is doing what, when, and who owns what. Uh, that should help prevent a lot of potential issues. So we're actually, it's kind of fun. Shelly's, uh, Shelly's sister and her husband, uh, they live in Switzerland and they're starting an alcohol brand over there. Wow. And, and they're actually very, very close to launching. And we've been, we've been able to work closely with them and they're doing a beautiful job. We were actually able to share some, some of those, some of those pieces with them. And uh, we met with them a few weeks ago and they had this, this beautiful, uh, matrix on who's doing what and, and uh, who is owning what and responsible. And I just saw that and I thought, wow, that, that, is, that is a wonderful foundation of communication to start a business with your spouse. Yeah. And I would adding to that is setting those boundaries of, you know, before 8am or after 9pm, we're not talking work or I need 30 minutes a day. I don't care when it is, but we need to connect on five things. So you know, it's just really easy to shove your spouse aside because business, you know, tends to come first when it's your passion, but you've got to make time to talk about. And sometimes that time is just to connect on business, um, but you tend to give it to clients first and you kind of sometimes put your spouse on the back burner. So just setting boundaries and time to reconnect and, you know, focus together. And I think part of our success in working hard is playing hard. So finding that time to completely just don't work, don't look at the emails, don't, who cares who calls, they can leave you a voicemail and just enjoy some time, you know? Awesome. Awesome. Thank you guys. I think we're going to end on this beautiful high note. You guys gave us some amazing nuggets. I love the last two points that you brought to the table because I think it's so valuable to, 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 you know, especially when you work with your spouse, with your partner. So thank you guys so much for being part of the Mixing Business with Pleasure podcast. I know that this episode is going to be awesome. We're going to have so many people learning from everything that you guys are doing. We'll have a lot of whiskey aficionados that are going to start buying right now from Studio Distilling. <laughs> I, I, and maybe we can get a little commission or something, you know, whatever. Just, you know, a little something. But we thank you. have those cocktails, so I'll bring the whiskey. So. Yeah, awesome. yes, yes. So We'd before love we sign off, where, where, if somebody, as we get this thing going and we actually push these live, where can people get, a, get in touch with you guys? If, if somebody needs some, you know, branding work or if somebody wants some whiskey. Yeah, uh, brandography.com. You can, you can find us online or, or, or pretty easy to find online. Or you can give us a call. You know, our, our phone number is uh, right on our website. It's 612-460-0016. Who uses phones anymore? I don't know. <laughs> Face, FaceTime, instant something, chat, that. <laughs> yeah, Whatever the carrier kids are pigeon. doing. We'll take a carrier pigeon. Yeah. Carrier pigeon, smoke yeah. signals. Yeah, Studio Distilling. <laughs> We're also online, uh, studiodistilling.com. We just launched an online store so you can shop and pay and then pick up in a non-contact social distancing way. Uh, all the cool kids are doing it. So Awesome, awesome. Well, thank you guys so much again for being part of the Mixing Business with Pleasure podcast. We really learned a lot from you too. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Mixing Business with Pleasure. We hope you'll join us next week as we feature another pair of co-founders who are also lovers and are proving that business and pleasure really do mix well together. If you've enjoyed this episode, please leave us a review on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts.